1: I think at it's Wednesday, April 6th, 2022, the 441st day of dystopia. I'm your moderator, Chris Paul. Let's be reasonable. So being that it is the 441st day of dystopia, it is also The 441st full day of Barack Obama's third term, as served by the half dead, demented, degenerate, ventriloquist dummy, fake proxy president Joe Biden, who is overwhelmingly compromised by the Chinese Communist Party, the patriarch of one of the most corrupt families in American history, and the father of one of the most despicable sons to ever walk the earth. And that, of course, is Hunter Biden. And I'm reminding everyone of that because yesterday, Barack Hussein Obama himself went to the White House to make it look like Joe Biden had more going on than Joe Biden has going on. He went there to celebrate, belatedly, two weeks after, the 12th anniversary of Obamacare, a policy that has lost its appeal. Almost as much as Joe Biden's fake presidency. Contrary to the story told by the news, Obamacare is not good health care and it didn't keep down the costs of health care. In the end, it just gave the government more control over health care. It was meant to be a bridge to the total takeover of health care by the government. And that becomes even more obvious as you can see the plan of Barack Obama's third term being put into place. It is tearing the society down across the board. It is making people poor. It is making people go broke. It is making people dependent on the government. And that is the intent. That is always the goal. It's not about a safety net. It's about a replacement for your role in society, because to them, you're just a serf, you're just a slave, you are a drain on the system. And so because they don't believe you can actually contribute to the system, except for your slave labor, they want to make sure that you drain the system as little as possible. And the way for you to drain the system as little as possible is for them to control the entire system. And they'll give you universal basic income and they'll say, look, free money. Now you don't have to do anything. Just please stay home, play video games, watch Netflix, order food, in quotes, to your place. You don't have to do anything. We've got this covered. And if you get sick, well, we've got health care for you. As long as you follow all the rules, we will absolutely prevent you from getting health care if you don't. Stay up to date on your permanent vaccine subscription. And it's pretty clear that they have proven that they won't give you the drugs and medications that could actually make you better, heal you. They'll give you the drugs they want you to consume. The British press has finally come to terms with the fact that remdesivir actually didn't help anyone. It hurt a lot of people. They don't mention that part, but there was no noticeable benefit. No noticeable benefit. Well, this is two years later. And billions of dollars have been spent purchasing remdesivir as part of the standard COVID protocol. And they give it to people. They experience renal failure. And then they end up on a ventilator where they have a 90 plus percent chance of dying. So, government healthcare. Oh, what a dream. I can't wait till the utopia is finally upon us. But in the false reality, the utopia already exists. In fact, everything since Obamacare passed has been utopia in the world of healthcare. And because they successfully created that utopia, they need to celebrate. So Barack Obama comes to the White House and gives a speech, and in every possible way, one ups the man that he had installed to do his bidding. Joe Biden. And there's virtually nothing in any of the speeches or any of the pomp and circumstance that's worth reporting about, except for the fact that Joe Biden was completely ignored by everyone. People were crowding around Barack Obama. Ooh, please just let me touch your hand. (laughs) Let's shake hands, Barack. Can we feel close? Can some of what you have rub off on me? I need to be more popular. And of course, that's why Joe Biden had him there. But Joe Biden actually looks worse now because Joe Biden looks like the enfeebled usurper of the free world that he is. He looks unable to conduct himself with authority. He certainly can't speak or read. And there were multiple instances where Obama would be mobbed and Biden would just be wandering around figuring out what he's supposed to be doing because no one pays any attention to him it was actually really uncomfortable because once he realized that nobody was paying attention to him he pointed at some woman in like the front row in front of the podium or a little stage i don't know what they had didn't see the floor But he points to her and then wags his finger like, come here, come here. And then he grabs her by the arm and starts walking her toward Obama. Oh, I've got to introduce you to the president. Me and the president, Barack Obama, we're good friends. And everybody there just defers to Barack Obama, including the man that we are told is president. When Obama was walking out, a reporter shouted him a question about how things looked for the fall, the November 2022 midterms. And Obama just casually says, well, we've got a great story. We just need to tell it. Once again, the messaging is the problem. The real world events and the results are not the problem. It's the messaging. People just don't understand how much we are helping them. And that's what you would believe if you were a globalist and people were rejecting the system of globalism. They actually do think that this is the best possible world. The one that they are creating is the best possible world. They have all the experts on it. They have all the power, the money, the tech, the science. It's all on their side. You just have to get out of their way and let them do what they're doing so that one day you'll see how great it is. You'll own nothing and you'll be happy, which is why you get Netflix documentaries about tiny homes and minimalism so that you'll eventually be happy with nothing. But it turns out that people don't like that and they don't want that and they can see the future that's being prepared for them by the global communists and they're rejecting it. And the global communists don't understand why. Because to them, as I said, everyone's a serf, everyone's a slave. They tell the serfs and slaves what they're supposed to think And then they expect the serfs and slaves to repeat that thing back to them. Yes, we believe it. Yes, we trust you. The media has told us the experts have told us everybody on social media seems to agree. They ignore the fact that it's censored and they just keep on going on because we're all supposed to be very, very happy with what they're preparing for us. It's going to be a utopia. All the races will love each other. We'll have diversity and inclusion if we just talk about race all the time. And that's why, because we know that everything's going to be just fine with diversity and inclusion, well, that's why we can eradicate borders and just push societies of people together, even though they have their own cultures and their own ways of living. And people generally don't like having their cultures taken away, whether it's American culture. Or Mexican culture, or Guatemalan culture, or Ukrainian culture, or any other culture. People are accustomed to a certain way of living and a certain way of interacting with the people around them. And people like to hold on to that because without that, everything is just a mystery. And it's got nothing to do with skin color, it's got everything to do with removing from culture and from society. The idea that human liberty is guaranteed, which is why they're so keen on destroying the United States of America, the last place where that truly is meant to be guaranteed. And if you don't want all this stuff, then it's your problem. You're not receiving the message. Maybe you're not smart enough to understand how much better it will be when they're all in charge. And with the confidence that they're doing what's best for everybody, well, then they're allowed to do whatever they want, as long as they can say this aids our progression toward giving everyone the best thing. So they don't want to let something little like elections get in the way. They'll just solve that by stealing elections. And by this point, that should be obvious to everyone. It wasn't a little theft here and there. And more evidence pours in by the day. Charlie Kirk was talking on his show yesterday about having visited Dinesh D'Souza, who's in the process of releasing his documentary film called 2000 Mules. And that's all about the work that True the Vote has done in investigating election fraud by gathering cell phone ping data that shows the location of certain phones as they move about the world. And they have tracked certain phone numbers to Dropbox locations consistently. And they have video evidence of people stuffing those Dropboxes. But what they also have is the other end point of their journey, where they will get those ballots from. And Charlie Kirk made the interesting assertion on his show that one of the places, actually, there were multiple places like this, but one of the places was the Democratic office of Stacey Abrams. They would go to Stacey Abrams office to retrieve ballots to go stuff in the Mark Zuckerberg ballot boxes. And of course, Stacey Abrams, as wide as her presence is, is her presence is truly only located in Georgia. It feels like it's everywhere. And it looks like it's everywhere, but it's only Georgia. So there were other Democrat offices around the country that facilitated the same part of that scheme. So yesterday, Donald Trump had a documentary movie premiere event at Mar-a-Lago attended by a lot of the familiar faces that you might know from the movement of people working on election fraud and from the America First movement. They premiered the documentary Rigged and you can find it at rig2020.com it's like 5 bucks i got it i watched it last night it's not crazy long it's less than an hour so if you're looking for a truly deep dive on mark zuckerberg's influence in the 2020 election it's probably not all that but what it's really great at doing it's very uh, slick and well made It's very smooth. It's very professional. It's my impression that it would actually be something that would be really, really good to see for people who are at the point of starting to understand that something is seriously wrong and that the election may well have been stolen. So the term rigged is a term that bothers me depending on how it's used, because the election wasn't just rigged. All right. And one of the only problems I had with this film was a point where I think it was Cleta Mitchell. And she said that you don't need to worry about the machines or any of the really complicated stuff. You can see that the election was rigged by what Mark Zuckerberg did through the Center for Tech and Civic Life. Now, that is certainly true. You don't need to understand the other stuff to understand that what Mark Zuckerberg did changed the outcome of the election. And I don't even like saying it like that because there is no win for Joe Biden. He didn't win the election. The outcome of the election is the outcome of the election. Mark Zuckerberg's rigging wasn't separate from the other processes of cheating, like the machines, like all the laws that were changed, like all the mail-in ballots and like the true, the vote stuff. It was just one aspect that is intimately tied to the other aspects. So I don't like that presentation of things. And the other thing that I'm a little bothered by is the idea that somehow all of this was actually legal, like they stole it fair and square. They were able to skirt around the laws, finding all the loopholes that they, of course, write for themselves and that it ultimately all was legal. It wasn't all legal. And I think Michael Gableman, who appeared in Rigged 2020, would also attest to that. It's not just that they Used the laws in every way that could benefit them. It's that they actually broke them or that they actually went around the laws. They were lawless. That's the way that Philip Klein has always described it. Philip Klein from the Thomas More Society presented all of the information about Mark Zuckerberg's influence on the 2020 election way back in November and December of 2020. This stuff has been known. That said, really good weigh in for people who are just starting to understand this stuff. They can watch this documentary in a short amount of time. It's very straightforward and they will understand, wow, Mark Zuckerberg straight up rigged the election. But what Zuckerberg did is not just process. All right. All those fake votes, those fake ballots that do not represent Real people's, real Americans' legal votes? Those came from somewhere. They didn't come from actual voters. The people stuffing those drop boxes were not stuffing them with legal ballots that they retrieved from real voters. They weren't just simply doing people a favor. They were rigging the election, they were stealing the election, they were doing illegal things that Mark Zuckerberg facilitated. And then one thing I loved about the documentary is that they actually talked about Mark Zuckerberg's clawback provisions in the contracts he signed with election officials and politicians all around the country. If they didn't deliver the results that he wanted, he was going to be able to take back all the money from them. So imagine you're a corrupt local official. You take money from CTCL whether it's $20,000 or $50,000 or a couple hundred thousand dollars or more, you've taken that money, you have said you will deliver results, and then once you've already taken the money, you're already corrupt, right? You've already begun the crime. If you don't finish the job, Zuckerberg is going to take that money back from you and you'll have still committed a crime. That's the situation that they were in, and it's good that the movie mentioned that. So anyway if you want to spend $5, if you're not that familiar with what Mark Zuckerberg and CTCL have done, I would highly recommend it to those people. I would highly recommend it to people who are not familiar with that stuff. If you are like me, if you have listened to the show for a long time, you're probably not going to learn anything new from it, but that is not a knock on what the documentary itself is. I don't think their goal was to Do a deep dive for people who have been following this every day for two years. So, the way to see Barack Obama's third term as president, served by the fake president Joe Biden, is as a continuation of his first two terms, accounting for the fact that Donald Trump went in there and slowed all of these plans down dramatically. He wasn't supposed to win, Hillary Clinton wasn't supposed to lose. Everything was supposed to remain on track, but Donald Trump took a different course and now they are accelerating their plans to catch up to where they were supposed to be. And where were they supposed to be? Well, there were some good hints about where they were headed back when Barack Obama was still president. And I came across this interesting article from the BBC in 2014. This is nearly eight years old. This article. Study U.S. is an oligarchy, not a democracy. The U.S. is dominated by a rich and powerful elite. So concludes a recent study by Princeton University professor Martin Gillens and Northwestern University professor Benjamin Page. This is not news, you say. Perhaps, but the two professors have conducted exhaustive research to try to present data driven support for this conclusion. Here's how they explain it. Multivariate analysis indicates that economic elites and organized groups representing business interests have substantial independent impacts on U.S. government policy, while average citizens and mass based interest groups have little or no independent influence in English. The wealthy few move policy while the average American has little power. The two professors came to this conclusion after reviewing answers to 1,779 survey questions asked between 1981 and 2002 on public policy issues. They broke the responses down by income level and then determined how often certain income levels and organized interest groups saw their policy preferences enacted. A proposed policy change with low support among economically elite Americans one out of five in favor, is adopted only about 18% of the time, they write. While a proposed change with high support, four out of five in favor, is adopted about 45% of the time. So when a policy gains little support from the richest Americans, that policy is highly unlikely to be enacted. But when the richest few support a policy, it is much more likely to be enacted. On the other hand, when a majority of citizens disagrees with economic elites and or with organized interests, they generally lose. Moreover, because of the strong status quo bias built into the U.S. political system, even when fairly large majorities of Americans favor policy change, they generally do not get it. That sounds like a threat to our democracy they conclude the study's authors. Americans do enjoy many features central to democratic governance, such as regular elections, freedom of speech and association, and a widespread, if still contested franchise. But we believe that if policymaking is dominated by powerful business organizations and a small number of affluent Americans, then America's claims to being a democratic society are seriously threatened. And it's important to note here again, 2014, eight years ago, these authors say that America has free elections and free speech and association and a widespread franchise. That means the ability to vote is widely available. And of course, they have to say, oh, it's very threatened. It's contested. People are talking about voter ID. Oh, no. But do those things actually exist in America anymore? Did they exist in America in 2014? There's good reason to believe they didn't. Stolen elections are just an objective fact about America's history. 2020 was not the first stolen election, although it was the most obvious. And we've seen our free speech rights stripped away continuously in the public sphere And they've done that in coordination with the government, which is a direct violation of the First Amendment. And it's hard to credit the widespread access to the franchise for anything if the elections are ultimately stolen. Having the illusion of going to vote is not a good thing if your vote isn't counted or if it's erased with some other fraudulent vote. Back to the article, Eric Zeus, writing in Counterpunch, isn't surprised by the survey's results. American democracy is a sham, no matter how much it's pumped up by the oligarchs who run the country and who control the nation's news media. He writes, the U.S., in other words, is basically similar to Russia or most other dubious electoral democratic countries. We weren't formally, but we clearly are now. This is the duh report says Death and Taxes magazine's Robin Panacchia. Maybe, she writes, Americans should just accept their fate. Perhaps we ought to suck it up, admit we have a classist society, and do like England, where they have a house of lords and a house of commoners, she writes, instead of pretending as though we all have some kind of equal opportunity here. And with that in mind, Obama had an interesting quote yesterday in his little appearance. He said, We are not supposed to do this just to occupy a seat or hang on to power. We're supposed to do this because it's making a difference in the lives of the people who sent us here. But then the question becomes, who sent you there? He's trying to imply that it's the citizens of America that elected Joe Biden. That's not true. And it's obviously not true. And they're not doing anything for those people. If there were actually 81 million real legal American voters, they certainly would not be served by the policies that Joe Biden's fake administration is enacting. There is nothing populist about the Democrat communist movement. And that's why there's not really any popular support for it among actual people. Yes, the rich support it because it is an oligarchy. That makes them feel special, like everything's going to be okay. Their lives will continue to get more comfortable and everyone else is not something they have to pay attention to. They try to hint that they're doing something for the lesser folks, you know, blacks and Hispanics, BIPOCs, AAPIs, LGBTQIA pluses, but they only serve those people with their words. And not even really their words if you actually focus on what they're saying and try to discern what it means. But Obama's very honest when he says they are in office to serve the people who put them there. Now, it makes sense that Barack Obama came out of the basement of the house down the street where he and Susan Rice run everything for the fake administration makes sense that he came out because Joe Biden's approval ratings drop to a new low every week. The economy's a disaster. Inflation's a disaster. Gas prices are a disaster. The border is an absolute abomination and everything happening in Ukraine is a disaster for them. So you bring out the one Democrat that enough of the country continues to pretend is uber popular. Because as you can imagine, that's basically the only thing that won't continue the absolute meltdown they're otherwise experiencing. So let's talk about some current Democrat meltdowns. Now, Twitter employees are going crazy about the fact that Elon Musk bought 9.2% of the company's stock and now has a board seat. And Andy No put together some panicky tweets from Twitter employees. And they're kind of magnificent. A trans data scientist at Twitter tweeted, a prominent transphobe buying a large stake in Twitter is not at all funny. I'm honestly kind of terrified right now crying face emoji a senior software engineer at twitter said my current sentiment stock is up yay but what about our company culture (laughs) yes how can we hang on to our precious company culture now that one of the world's true geniuses is on board it's a mystery a recruiting manager for twitter wrote, looks like I picked a good week to be off another software engineer, me trying to enjoy the stock price without thinking about why. And she posts a, a a video of a girl crying, a creative services director said Elon Musk just temporarily at least made me a lot of money and I still dislike him. Oh, so bold. And then finally, he shares a tweet from Twitter's engineering manager who says, for the first time, Twitter leadership includes someone I had proactively blocked on this platform. He was so triggered by Elon Musk that he blocked him. Well, good luck, buddy. He also said the problem with Elon Musk is that he has demonstrated a pattern of harmful behavior consistently that disproportionately impacts marginalized people. So maybe let's not give him any more power than he already stole. So Elon Musk buying Twitter stock is stealing power from Twitter. His comments disproportionately affect marginalized people consistently. We are told that we should believe that. And for those reasons, it's horrifying that Elon Musk might have some role in leading Twitter into the future as its stock price tumbles and people leave the platform and censorship keeps rising and rising because they can't possibly believe that the woke regime guiding Twitter may not be doing a great job. And I love this entire freak out because all of these people are really, really exposing who they are and what their motivations are. They are afraid of Twitter as a platform if somehow all of the people that were censored get to go back on Twitter. They are literally scared of free speech and what it will mean for people like them. And of course, the reverse of that is that they're super happy about censorship because it punishes everyone who's not like them. It makes it so they don't even have to understand that people in the world have different thoughts than they do. They believe that every position they hold is this unassailable position. There is no argument on the other side. And they know that because academics at top universities give them all sorts of complicated and convoluted explanations for why their view is the only one that can be held by good people. If you don't hold that view, you're a bad person. Now, there is another liberal freakout, liberal meltdown happening this week. And it seems like this one in particular has the ability to cause them all sorts of problems and they just don't realize it at all because they are only focused on the mission of trying to claim that everything they do is good and moral and right. And that gets a little harder when you start talking about child grooming and pedophilia, but it hasn't stopped them at all. And of course, they're not going to try to defend those things explicitly because, let's be honest, that's a losing strategy. So what they're going to do instead is use the Republicans pounce gambit. It's something Dan Bongino talks about a lot. It's basically the media trend whenever Republicans have something real that they are going after Democrats for, that Democrats can't defend, what they'll do instead is claim that Republicans have pounced on this thing that actually isn't a big deal. They're making it a huge deal because they're crazy and stupid and racist and sexist and homophobic and Islamophobic and transphobic and blah, 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 blah. And so now they're trying Republicans pounce and also QAnon pounces on grooming and pedophilia. They're hoping that's going to work. Is it going to work? Absolutely not. But they do want people to stop talking about it. They especially want people to stop talking about it right now because they're about to put Ketanji Brown Jackson onto the Supreme Court and and they don't want any more blowback. They thought they were going to get out of it in a day or two. Oh, we're just going to cover up her leniency on pedophiles and then people will stop paying attention. Well, now we're about two weeks in and no one has stopped paying attention. And the information certainly hasn't come out to support Katanji Brown Jackson's side of things. It's only going in the other direction. So what do they do? Oh, well, all these people are really bad for going after pedophiles. They don't even mean it. They're just lying. They're just trying to make a case against Katanji Brown Jackson. Some of the headlines are insane. You and on Palmer in Newsweek, Marjorie Taylor Greene echoes QAnon calls Democrats party of pedophiles. Washington Post, the new red scare, the right leans into pedophilia accusations. And it's amazing that they call that the new red scare. The red scare is like you talking about people being communists, but they're really not communists. That's red scaring, red baiting, like you're targeting people putting them on lists for their beliefs. But wait a second. The Democrats did that all throughout Trump's term. They were literally publishing lists of people who gave to the Trump campaign or said that they voted for Trump. That's what they do. And it's funny that at this point, the communists are still using the Red Scare line, which is pretty much just a version of Republicans pounds. They're calling us communists to scare people. They should just let us tell people and show people how good communism is. New York Magazine's Intelligencer. Why Republicans are smearing everyone as pedophiles now. Conspiracy theories work on different levels. Vice has a headline. Conservatives are smearing don't say gay opponents as pedophile groomers. Why are Republicans so concerned about grooming? And then David French writes against the groomer smear. David French is supposed to be, he calls himself a Christian conservative. He was a very staunch conservative at the national review for a very long time. And then he left to go right with Jonah Goldberg at the dispatch where they were decidedly less conservative. They would make fun of people for talking about globalism. Ooh, the globalist conspiracy. It's all a conspiracy. These crazy Q but you got to love that vice headline. Conservatives are smearing. Don't say gay opponents as pedophile groomers. Well, Don't say gay isn't about not saying gay at all. It's about not teaching little children about sexual subjects, five to eight year olds. There is no place for that in school. And it's so crazy that they are even arguing about this. It's not about don't say gay. It's about whether or not you can groom children. And that is what they're doing by teaching them about sexual subjects. Teachers in public schools are hired by the state to teach the children of the state how to read and write and do math. That's what we've always been told. But it turns out there's a new argument that says, if I can't teach children about my sexual lifestyle, then my free speech is being limited. Their ability to learn is being limited. That's not what it is at all. Imagine for a second, if Florida, instead of trying to stop these teachers from grooming Florida's children, which is what they're doing, they had put a law in place that said part of every school day in Florida public schools would be teaching the children the Bible they would be up in arms about that. And why would they be up in arms about that? Well, because they would take that as a very critical piece of a child's understanding of the world, of the child's knowledge, and they would be concerned that the teaching of the Bible in that setting would shape the child's mind in the future. It would bias the child toward religious beliefs that maybe people themselves didn't support or the individual child's family might not support. And by the way, I think that's a fairly compelling argument. I think there should be a separation of church and state, which doesn't mean that either of those should be eliminated. It's just that in certain settings, they should be kept apart. But the people right now defending teachers' ability to groom children actually do understand the argument, the form of the argument against teaching religion in school is exactly the same as the form of the argument not to groom children in school. They do not need to be exposed to other people's ideas in a setting where they are supposed to be learning from an authority figure. And that's what teachers are. They replace the parent during the day and they become the child's authority figure. If you think it's somehow dangerous to teach children religion in school, then how in the world can you be supporting the idea that these teachers who do not have any special training in any of these subjects, not that it should matter for the age group should be convincing children there are 57 genders or talking to them about their genitals or what might bring them pleasure. And it's kind of amazing that they have these two issues happening at the same time right now. They should have just given up the don't say gay thing. No one believes their framing of the issue. Almost every normal, rational person sees the Florida law as nothing but a good thing, but they're going to fight it anyway because they have to, because they have to win all of these battles all the time or else they just cry forever. But the Ketanji Brown Jackson thing is even worse because a bunch of senators are going to have to go to the Senate tomorrow and vote for this woman, and that is never going to wash off. They hope that this stuff all gets forgotten about. But no one's going to forget about this, and that's why they're melting down. This has already reached a critical mass. Everybody who takes that vote in support of Kentaji Brown Jackson tomorrow is going to have to live with that for the rest of their political future, however short that may be. Here's Rachel Maddow's Butch alter ego to tell you more. Now, these
0: Republican politicians and their allies in conservative media cannot just come out and say, There is an evil cabal of liberals running a child sex trafficking ring around the world dominated by George Soros, the Rothschilds, and the Clintons, and they also worship Satan. They realize they sound
1: nuts. Well, yeah, okay. If you say it in that tone and you use those words to make this broad implication, perhaps that does sound a little nuts. If you're just a normie and you haven't thought about anything that matters in the entire world, that sounds like the sort of claim that just simply cannot be true. Where's the proof? I've never heard any of the proof. Surely you can't prove any of that. But let's break it down. Is there an evil cabal of liberals? Well, it's not just liberals. It's communists globally. The Democrat Communist Party in America and the liberals who support them are certainly in some way supporting that evil global communist cabal. I don't often use the word cabal because I don't want to attach the other meanings to it. As Chris Hayes is doing, the cabal becomes this signal of a conspiracy theory. But a cabal is just a group of people concocting schemes in secret. Those things happen. We were talking yesterday about the Russian collusion hoax. John Durham calls that a joint venture, and a conspiracy. Donald Trump's case calls it a criminal enterprise. We know that there are international bodies like the UN, like the WHO, and like the World Economic Forum. We know that the Clintons and George Soros and the Rothschilds actually do work together influencing these international bodies. The central bankers have influence over everything so the people that do their bidding are just by virtue of having done their bidding part of a definitional cabal with those people so we don't need to shy away from that and we don't need to pretend it's some conspiracy that grouping of people actually exists and they facilitate one another's ascent to power that is a real fact about the world even molly ball in her Time magazine article of early February 2021, where she outlined the plot to preserve Joe Biden's electoral victory in November 2020. She used the word cabal. It is a descriptive word that happens to be accurate when applied to the very group of people he named. Now, if they weren't doing anything nefarious and there was no formal relationship of the members of that group to say that it was an evil cabal would sound nuts, but those relations exist and they do do the things that people accuse them of. But not, of course, when you generalize it and intentionally try to make it sound stupid. So is there a child sex trafficking ring that exists in the world? Is there a child pornography ring that exists in the world? Is there a human trafficking ring that exists in the world? Well, sure, all those things are real. Are there drug trafficking rings? Can Chris Hayes' audience at least wrap their head around that one? That drugs are trafficked illegally around the world, often across our own southern border, sometimes through tunnels? Well, okay, so we can traffic drugs. Why can't we traffic other things? But we do know that other things are trafficked, namely humans, often women and children, often for sex. Those things happen. Those things don't happen without the support of powerful authorities to turn a blind eye or assist in some way. And once again, we can look just to the southern border and see that women and children are consistently raped on that journey, there is absolutely no denying that the cartels are paid to bring them. The cartels are often involved in either the rapes directly or the facilitation of those rapes, those people, those women and children being used for sexual pleasure, being sold against their will into that situation. And the trafficking that occurs there is in fact supported By George Soros and various NGOs who are really just there to help immigrants. It's all just humanitarian aid. Now look the other way. We're helping these poor black and brown people try to achieve a better life. But do these people worship Satan? Well, hey, I don't know what they do in their personal lives. I don't know if they actually give sacrifices and offerings to Satan. I don't know if they worship Lucifer. I don't know if any of it is that formalized. Do they have ceremonies? I don't know. I haven't been to one. I haven't seen conclusive proof of one, but still they might be. And either way, that's not the only thing that worshiping Satan could mean. If you are doing evil for evil's sake, A person who processes their world in a religious framing can certainly see doing evil for evil's sake as worshiping Satan. They can say legitimately that child torture and child pornography and child rape is demonic or satanic because they can't imagine what kind of evil must possess those people to go and do those things. So does that sound nuts, Chris Hayes? Maybe it still does to Chris Hayes, in all honesty. Who knows what Chris Hayes does? But if that stuff doesn't sound evil, and if you are put off by someone else describing it as demonic or satanic, I would suggest the problem might be with you, Chris Hayes.
0: So instead, they find these not-so-clever ways to play footsie with the people that do believe that, that make up at least a quarter of the base of their party. Like...
1: Accusing Judge Jackson of being sympathetic to child abusers. Wink, wink. There's no wink, wink. Judge Jackson is sympathetic to child abusers. She wrote a paper about it in law school. Her record clearly points toward leniency on people caught with child pornography. That's not wink, wink and they're not playing footsie with the QAnon base every time they bring it up. It's a real issue. Judge Jackson made those decisions, and she made them for a reason. And the reason is because she believes philosophically, principally, that the crime of possession and viewing and trading child pornography is punished too harshly, In our society, that is her actual point of view. And not that I care too much about this stuff because Chris Hayes is a clown, but it's a bit demeaning to describe a huge portion of the American population this way. Oh, there are people that can just be tricked. These little wink winks, these little dog whistles. It's all just a trick to get more political support and political power. There's no principle behind it. It's demeaning to people like Marjorie Taylor Greene, who are out there speaking up, and Josh Hawley. It's ridiculous.
0: Or adopting the slogan, save the children, which of course sounds perfectly noble, innocent enough on its face, but as Associate Press reports, has actually become a dog whistle to QAnon supporters. Or, more recently, through vague allegations of grooming, grooming an age-old smear to imply that members of the LGBTQ community are trying to prime children for sexual abuse.
1: Another absurd rhetorical trick. They're trying to imply that the word grooming and applying the word groomer is nothing but a smear against gay people. And he even misdefines it to strengthen his case. The claim is not just that these kids are being groomed for sexual abuse to be carried out by the person grooming them, that's not what's being claimed at all. The claim is that they are being sexualized from a young age so that the way they perceive sexual relations for the rest of their lives will be skewed by that grooming. And that is exactly the intent of the grooming. And we know that's true because they tell us that's true. This law wouldn't be needed and people wouldn't be upset about it if the things that kids were learning in school were not things that they shouldn't be learning. There's no reason in the world why some stranger, some teacher needs to be talking with a five-year-old about his or her genitals. Someone was pointing out online yesterday, and it might have been that buffoon Mike Cernovich who has a good idea every now and then, that when we were growing up, our teachers were addressed as Mr. or Mrs. or Miss or Ms. And that's the only way you had any idea about what their private relationship status might be. If it was Mrs., well, she's a married woman. If it's Miss, she's an unmarried woman. If it's Ms., well, hey, who knows? But that's all we knew. I never thought, that I should care about who my teacher was dating? And I'm not saying it didn't happen, but I don't ever recall one of my teachers talking about their family life in class. And we may as well also just be talking about critical race theory as well. They are trying to introduce children to sexual topics and racial topics that the children are not at the point in their lives that they can understand or need to understand those topics. And I would love to ask Chris Hayes, well, hey, if they're not trying to shape these children's minds in how they view sexual activity for the rest of their lives, what are they trying to do? Why does a four-year-old or an eight-year-old need to hear about his or her teacher's trip away this weekend with their teacher's gay husband? They don't ever. And it's got nothing to do with how society views gay people. And it has nothing to do with pretending that the word groomer is some code language used to call all gay men pedophiles. Clearly not what it is.
0: That appears to be the case in Florida and the basis behind the state's so-called don't say gay bill, which prohibits the discussion, the discussion in class of sexual orientation or gender identity in classrooms for young
1: children. Imagine saying that in that tone, like you're super outraged. Oh no, you can no longer talk about sexual orientation and gender identity with little kids. What is going to become of this world now? I mean, come on. You only thought up 53 of those genders like six years ago.
0: Some Republicans will try to lie and say the bill is the laws about parents' rights or other nonsense. But Republican Governor Ron DeSantis, spokesperson, gave away the whole game. She, sort of like Marjorie Taylor Greene, wasn't quite, like, with it enough to kind of keep it quiet. She said, the bill that liberals inaccurately called Don't Say Gay would be more accurately described as the anti-grooming bill. And, quote, if you're against the anti-grooming bill, you're probably a groomer. Or at least you don't denounce the grooming of 48-year-old children. Silence is complicit. In.
1: That's not giving the game away, Chris Hayes. That's exactly right. That's what normal people should think about this.
0: Just, I want everyone to focus on what she is accusing people of here. There it is. She said the quiet part loud. If you don't agree with the bill, you are actively cultivating young children to sexually abuse them. Everything you don't like is the work of this nefarious cabal of pedophiles who are literally attempting to institutionalize systematic sexual molestation of children. If you're a Democrat, you're either a pedophile or a pedophile sympathizer. If you're a gay teacher who mentions, I don't know, going away with your husband this weekend, you're doing the same. And this rhetoric, it's not fringe, that's the spokesperson, Ron DeSantis, become omnipresent in right-wing
1: media. Here's the thing. If you don't want right wing media focused on the problems with pedophilia in politics or in the world or in or with child sex trafficking or the sex trafficking of women, stop defending it and do something about it. This is the party of Disney right now, and Disney is not looking good. It's the party who's. Fringe supporters argue that pedophilia is simply a sexual orientation and it's the party that had the gall to nominate Ketanji Brown Jackson, who has an actual legitimate history of leniency on people who possess and view and distribute child pornography. If you don't want the other side to get a win Stop defending the thing they're winning on. But they can't do that because if this issue actually reaches a critical mass and people begin to understand what the issue really is, then we might actually have to look at the situation at the border, for instance, or the situations around the world where children are trafficked. We might have to look at them as actual problems and not things we can just turn away from all the time. So the only choice left when this stuff comes up is to somehow defend it. And Joan Walsh tries to do this in The Nation, one of the great communist magazines. The smearing of Ketanji Brown Jackson will haunt Democrats. That's the headline. Is the political glass half full this week or half empty? On the plus side, three Republican senators, Maine's Susan Collins, Alaska's Lisa Murkowski, and Utah's Mitt Romney, announced that they will vote to confirm Judge Ketanji Brown Jackson to the Supreme Court, the first black woman ever appointed. Again, white lady writing, communist magazine, liberal elitist. The only description of Ketanji Brown Jackson to lead off is first black woman ever appointed. Congratulations, Katanji, you're black and a woman, even if you can't tell. On the grim, even ghoulish side, we have Representative Marjorie Taylor Greene, Republican QAnon, spewing lies on Twitter in a thread that began, any senator voting to confirm KJB is pro-pedophile just like she is, and concluded Murkowski, Collins, and Romney are pro-pedophile. They just voted for KBJ. Correct. Marjorie Taylor Greene is correct. Most days I try to ignore bullies like Greene. (laughs) I'm so sophisticated and civilized. I don't even let bullies like Marjorie Taylor Greene speak. But she says crudely what more polished Republicans use bigger words to express. You got that? All the Republicans are stupid, but some are more stupid than others. If they were smarter, they would see that this pedophile thing actually isn't a big deal. Senators like Josh Hawley, Tom Cotton, Ted Cruz and Lindsey Graham made unspeakable charges against Jackson during her Judiciary Committee confirmation hearings and repeated some of them on Monday during the committee debate. It deadlocked 1111, but Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer was able to get her confirmation to the Senate floor anyway. So bold, so powerful. They weren't that different from Greens, the comments from Cotton and Cruz and Graham and Hawley. Washington Post columnist Dana Milbank did the numbers. In four days of hearings last week, the phrase child porn or pornography or pornographer was mentioned 165 times. There were also, according to transcripts, 142 uses of sex, sexual abuse, sexual assault, sexual intercourse, sex crimes, 15 of pedophiles, 13 of predators, 18 of prepubescent, and nine of general pornography. Thank goodness someone got the numbers. That proves that they were very focused on this problem. And because it's not a real problem, why were they focused on it? I'm not suggesting she likes what's happening in child pornography, Graham said Monday. But she had a chance to impose a sentence that would deter child pornography, and she chose not to. Her record demonstrates that it is 100% certain she will vote to overturn strict punishments on sex offenders, Cruz said before his no vote. That's mildly better than his accusing Jackson of a record of advocacy as it concerns sexual predators in last week's hearing. And because Joan Walsh said so, we're supposed to assume that all of these things are lies, except they're not lies. It is 100% certain that she would vote to overturn strict punishments on sex offenders. Her record indicates that at a 100% rate. We're also supposed to assume that it's a lie that he said she advocates as it concerns sexual predators, but she does. And her paper for the Harvard Law Review proves that in her own words and arguments. Hawley likewise defended his vote against Jackson by pointing to her lenience, especially in child pornography cases. And that's quote unquote lenience because Joan Walsh doesn't believe it's lenient at all. She's just denying that Judge Jackson is lenient, which either means that she thinks Judge Jackson sentenced these people appropriately or she sentenced them too lightly. So I wonder where Joan Walsh comes down on child pornography. You'd be surprised to learn that she doesn't state it. Hawley struck back at the many critics of the way he treated Jackson last week before Monday's vote child pornography creates a cycle of trafficking of exploitation of abuse. It is the children who are victims, not the criminals. Tom Cotton claims Jackson, quote, habitually sympathizes with criminals over victims and quote, acted as more of a defense attorney for criminals from the bench than a judge. That is also pretty accurate. Oh, And Tennessee's Marsha Blackburn said she couldn't vote for Jackson because the judge refused to give her a definition of woman in last week's hearing, a way to sneak in a little trans panic, along with pedophilia, fear mongering and soft on crime garbage. Oh, asking for the definition of woman is trans panic. Why? Because the definition of woman is actually the definition it's always been. And making Katanji Brown Jackson admit that is a slight to trans people in Joan Walsh's construction. Yes, that's exactly it. The definition of woman is hurtful to trans people, according to Joan Walsh. I wonder if Joan Walsh can define woman. And if she can't define woman, then she pretty much has to give up the claim that being asked to is A dog whistle for trans panic. If you can't define woman, you're one of the dumbest people on the planet. Or you're a liar. There's no other option. Jackson will join the Supreme Court anyway. But over the last month, Republicans used her as target practice to get ready for the November midterms. You got that? None of the arguments about Judge Jackson's actual record were anything but target practice for the midterms. Those Republicans were thinking about the midterms the entire time. Well, maybe they were to the extent that they could not believe any of their colleagues would actually vote for this woman, but they're gonna, and then that'll matter for the midterms for sure. They turned the esteemed judge into the composite of Democrats everywhere. And here is how Joan Walsh describes the composite of Democrats everywhere soft on crime, but particularly on child predators, fond of a crackpot version of allegedly anti-white critical race theory, allegedly unwilling to uphold traditional notions of gender and sexuality. Essentially, the pitch is Democrats are coming for your children on almost every front. And we members of the formerly grand old party are all that can protect them. Well, no, that's not all that can protect them. Children can and should be protected by their parents and by the community, but for the community to protect them, it actually kind of does depend on politicians and politicians who don't care about a judge being lenient on child pornographers, even after finding out that some of the ones she was lenient on left prison to offend again. Well, those are people that your children might need defended from by other politicians. It's also amusing to me how accurately Chris Hayes and Joan Walsh describe their supposed straw man construction of what the Democrat power system actually represents. They are nailing it. They think that they're debunking it, but they're not. They're just calling everybody else mean and crazy for seeing them for exactly who they are. The assault on Jackson came against the backdrop of the notorious Florida law banning schools from teaching about issues of sexual orientation through the third grade. At some level, proponents of the law seem to believe that a Democrat leaning educational establishment is trying to actively turn kids LGBTQ. Now, all you have to do is look at the number of kids turning LGBTQ to know that something in society has changed the way people behave in this very important part of their lives over the last few decades. Sure, people have always been gay. They have always been lesbian. They've some of them have been confused about their gender. Men have wanted to be women. Women have wanted to be men. But never before was it a trend that the society actively encourages. And let's be clear, the society does encourage it. That's part of why they want to put gay characters in every TV show and movie. It's not because gay characters actually exist in every facet of life. They don't. There are lots of groupings of people that go do things and create stories that just so happen not to have gay people in them or not to have black people in them. They are actively trying to multiculturalize the society and they admit it. It's something they're proud of. They're trying to do the same thing with sexuality. We shouldn't just pretend that they're not doing it when it's convenient, when Joan Walsh needs it for an argument. Now, maybe it's worth a discussion about whether or not multiculturalism has its benefits. That's a conversation everyone can have. But it's not automatically true. It's not automatically the case that we will have a more tolerant, a nicer, a kinder, a more productive, a more loving society if. We convince kids that they're actually gay when they're not, or that they're actually girls when they're boys, and that we start them on that at age four. It's bananas. Governor Ron DeSantis, press secretary, resurrected an old slur against gay men that they groom children to be gay or pray by saying it would be more accurately described as an anti-grooming bill. Now, that is a really messed up conflation as well. She is talking about the bill. The bill is actually more accurately described as anti grooming. It's not accurately described as don't say gay. That is not the purpose of the bill. That is the name that people like Joan Walsh gave it. It's not the don't say gay bill. So there's no comparison between gay men and grooming the bill is about grooming. She went on to tweet. If you're against the anti-grooming bill, you are probably a groomer, or at least you don't denounce the grooming of four to eight year old children. Silence is complicity. This is how it works. Democrats. And I didn't make the rules again. That's exactly right. And says nothing about groomers being the equivalent of gay men and gay men being the equivalent of pedophiles. There it is again. Democrats peddle pedophilia and maybe practice it. Even upstanding people like Jackson, all the Republicans felt obliged to praise her upbringing and erudition at least go easy on it. Oh, so they, they they weren't focused on her race or her womanhood. How unfortunate for you, Joan Walsh. Instead, they focused on an actual issue in her record. And you thought you would just pass her through by claiming everyone was racist and sexist. You wouldn't actually have to deal with a real issue about her record. Of course, a version of that slur emerged out of the 2016 campaign against Hillary Clinton when deranged conspiracy mongers claimed Clinton and her campaign were running a child sex trafficking ring out of Washington, out of a Washington DC pizzeria. It got the nonsense label "Pizzagate," but it wasn't funny especially after someone convinced by the claim showed up at the pizza place with a gun. Pizzagate morphed into the kaleidoscopically unhinged QAnon movement, which met up with white supremacy and Donald Trump worship and fueled the January 6th insurrection. This right here from Joan Walsh is an absolutely unhinged conspiracy theory. Okay. She is describing a reality that does not exist. This is what she believes because she has been convinced of a false reality. There are five or six claims within this paragraph all of which she assumes to be true while none of them are. It is also very interesting as a side note that she brings up Pizzagate since Judge Ketanji Brown Jackson was presiding over that shooter's case as well. Imagine how much differently they would talk about Pizzagate if that shooting had never happened. And if that shooter hadn't been such a crack shot that he nailed the one hard drive on the one computer inside Comet Ping Pong. This is literally a deadly approach to politics, which puts people's lives in danger, but even more certainly endangers democracy and the rule of law. Got it? This is the coup de grace of leftist fever dream conspiracy theories because they're going after Ketanji Brown Jackson for her real record of leniency on child pornography cases. They are endangering democracy. They are creating a new pizza gate where there might be a lone shooter shooting at hard drives and once there's a lone shooter shooting at hard drives, well, we can call everything that we can even compare to that incident as equally dangerous. There's going to be shooters shooting at hard drives all over the country because of this information coming out. And then it'll turn into QAnon and then it'll turn into white supremacy and Donald Trump worship, even though there is no white supremacy anywhere, anywhere in Q or the community around Q. That is not what Q is about at all. But of course, you know, those dumb conspiracy theorists, they'll believe anything. And once they believe something, well, then they start deadly insurrections. That is where Joan Walsh got to from Republicans talking about her real record as a judge during the confirmation hearings for her seat on the Supreme Court as a judge. This is literally a deadly approach to politics which puts people's lives in danger, but even more certainly endangers democracy and the rule of law. But it was mainstreamed at the Jackson hearings. The good news is that the American people didn't like it. The nominees' approval ratings, already high, went up after the Republican assault on her. The bad news is some version of it can work. Look at how Virginia Governor Glenn Youngkin. Wrote gender panic and CRT paranoia, as well as parental fatigue with COVID restrictions, to victory last November. And of course, none of those issues were real in Virginia either. It's all just made up. Sometimes I assume American voters will see how vicious and deranged it all is. In the New York Times, Michelle Goldberg wrote about a panic over so called furries, people, in this case school aged, who like to dress up as animals. A Nebraska legislator insisted schools were being forced to put out, quote, litter boxes in the schools for the children to use, end quote. There's the bathroom panic again until the whole notion was debunked, but not before it spread in Iowa, Wisconsin, and Michigan, and probably for no reason at all. At least Cruz didn't ask Jackson for her thoughts on the bathroom rights of furries. Still, her experience was searing. The racial dynamics of the Jackson hearing were unbearable. The distortion of her record obscene. Only five or six GOP senators actively and luridly bullied her. But another 40 found reason to vote against her. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's the leniency on pedophiles. That's the reason. And only Romney unequivocally denounced the cruel and perverse campaign against her for once. Much of the media covered Jackson's treatment as the travesty it was, and that's progress. But there's still insufficient media attention to the way these lurid claims about Democrats have been mainstreamed in the Republican Party over the years and around the country. Hey, Joan, the claims aren't about Democrats. The claims are about pedophiles and groomers and child traffickers and the people who defend them, either overtly or by pretending all these issues are fake. The fact that you conflate that with Democrats, the fact that the defense of all these things is represented by Democrats, is not a problem of the people accusing the Democrats. It's a problem that Democrats are consistently the ones defending all of this. And she concludes, if you hated the Jackson hearings, you're going to have a rough seven months until November. But unlike at the hearings, it will be possible for decent Americans to do something, to organize and to vote. So there you have it. She is very mad that Republicans and normal American citizens The commoners have the gall to be upset and vocal about a judge who consistently took it easy on child pornographers and the way you fix the problem. The problem being, by the way, not child pornography, not leniency on child pornography, not child sex trafficking or sex trafficking or child abuse or any of it. None of that is the problem. The problem is Republicans talking about it and the way you can fix the problem of Republicans talking about the things that Democrats do and that Democrats defend is by making sure that they lose another election by going out to vote, quote unquote. And so it turns out what Joan Walsh is really defending is the necessity to steal elections forever. I will be back tomorrow at the same reasonable time on the same reasonable podcast network. I don't have a network. Masks and lockdowns don't work. They lied to you about a pandemic and Joe Biden will never be president. Planning for your next trip?